For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 368 of This Old Marketing for Friday, March 24th, 2023. And with me, as always, is my pal, my colleague, and a guy who I know is secretly helping the Fed raise interest rates this week, Mr. Joe Polizzi. You are, right? Because your whole crypto thing, right? This is a top secret plan that you have. No, I I don't like, I'm not a big fan of the Fed. At this particular, I, I understand point. this. Yeah, I understand this, but I think it's a, I think it's all a ruse, a ruse. I tell you, a ruse, a, a ruse. It's, the, what they're doing is a ruse, or their jobs. No, what you're doing is it. You're because I know you're not a fan of the Fed, but I think you secretly are a fan of the Fed because it's you're you're back in. The, this is my conspiracy theory: is that you're actually in the background because of your how basically well respected and highly skilled you are at financial matters. The Fed is coming to you, and you're actually secretly working with the Fed to raise interest rates because it actually then bolsters the idea of the value of Bitcoin, and that ultimately raises the value of that. So it's all a ruse. I tell you, a ruse. That makes absolutely no sense at all. But I, I still, <laughs> I, I still liked hearing you say that. No, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, as we record this, the Fed raised interest rates another quarter point. I honestly believe that they weren't going to because of this whole mini bank crisis going on. Because I don't think I think that it's unnecessary at this point. With well, I I, I don't disagree with you, but I I with the argument I heard, which was I think the best argument yet, which is they probably in their heads went, we don't have to raise the rates, but if we don't raise the rates, it sound it looks like we're scared. And, and if we look like we're scared, that's only going to hurt things. So they sort of went, let's just raise them a little bit so that it sends a message that we're, we're not scared of this whole banking thing going on. And it's still, you know, it's, it's still low enough that it's not going to make that big of a, you know, it yeah. is, quote unquote, taking a pause. I think you right? are correct in what you're saying. And I think they are extremely scared right now. Because it just, when you look at some of the, I mean, not that this is any financial show by any means, but if you look at the amount of depositor, like withdrawals from banks over the past four months, it's staggering. And it's a trend and you could see it happening. And of course, they're hopeful that this is just a small bank issue. You know, you've got First Republic and you've got SVP, SVB and all that stuff. And they're thinking, oh, no, 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 it's isolated. It's isolated. I don't know if it is. But what we are going to see is there's people moving their money from smaller banks and credit unions to bigger banks like your JP Morgans, like your Bank of Americas. And that's bad, I think, for the U.S. economy where you have yeah. basically large banks and no no one else to help you. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll just tell you, I, I now again, this is not advice. I'm not giving you any advice here. But I, I I bought some stock in J.P. Morgan uh, because it was down. It's been down a little bit, and I think next quarter when they start to report deposits, it's going to be it. it there they will. I think exactly. I think you're exactly right, and I think a lot of those people are moving their money. Maybe not permanently, but certainly right now, temporarily anyway. They're they're opening accounts, and I think there's going to be a huge cash influx to these larger banks, and they're going to start reporting on that next quarter, and it's going to be it's going to be gang. Well, there was a that. stat that came out that Bank of America saw it, like in two days the largest deposits ever come in as people were moving from these other yeah. banks to, and it's not just SVP or, right. or First Republic. It's smaller banks. Like the the below two hundred fifty billion dollars small is what I'm talking about, <clears throat> right? To banks like J P Morgan, which I believe handle three trillion plus dollars. It's right. incredible what they do. So, anyways, right? Which is it's it, it's kind of a it, it's kind of ridiculous because the other stat that I heard, which is you know fascinating, is that there have been seventy two seventy three bank failures in the last twenty years. I think. And of that, of the 73, 72 of them, all of the depositors were covered. So it's not like the, it's not like, you know, the, the, the FDIC is really, 
respecting this whole two hundred fifty thousand dollar limit thing. They're basically they're ma- they're making depositors hold no matter who you are, right? Over the last twenty years, so the actual level of risk here is pretty darn low. I think on the deposit side, did you see? I don't know if you saw the stat from the Credit Suisse. <clears throat> debacle that's going on and i guess ubs is being somewhat forced to buy them but there was a group of organizations (laughs) that had 17 billion dollars in uh bonds corporate bonds against you know of credit suisse which is now valued at zero oh yeah out so the depositors not an issue but they're not protecting the bondholders in this case no, and, though that's true. Well, they're not in prote- and they're not protecting the investors either, right? So the ones who have, who had like for those who had stock in Silicon Valley Bank, they're 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 done, right? I mean, they're 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 out. The, yeah. yeah, and again, this is not this old finance show. Nobody no, exactly, should take right. our word for it. But it I is just, again, you know, it, just, it is again a reason why I have issues with our, you know, the way that the United States is so bank heavy and. The the system is gamed. It's gamed. It is. They they're pulling the they're pulling the strings and doing the things. And you've got the people who have like the J P Morgans and the Bank of America. Nothing wrong with that. They're going to make out so sweet on this deal. And I think ultimately it's going to be small businesses and and smaller investors that that are going to be hurt. It, I, even though you just said they're protected the deposits. I. Just doesn't feel right. It happens all the time, which is why you're seeing Bitcoin, which is really surprised yeah, to me. Bitcoin is raising. Yeah. Bitcoin is being looked at sort of a safe haven. You just can't mess with the algorithm. Kinda. So right. Well, that's true, but there's also no growth, right? I mean, it's it is literally just a store of value. You're not, you know, nobody's nobody's in there. You know, there's no bank of Bitcoin, right? Where they, you know, they take in deposits and then make loans and make money and grow out. No, of it, it's so. not. It's currency, but you don't. Right. You. It doesn't have to. When you have the United States basically throwing money around like they are and changing rates whenever they are, whatever, and the dollar is worth less every day, all you have to all you have to do is believe that the dollar is going to continue that the that the United States system is going to continue to do what's what it's doing and Bitcoin will be worth more. That's all you have to Right. That's it. That's all you have that's to it. believe. Just just <laughs> if if yeah. business as usual goes on, that's it. That's that's yeah. my thesis. I don't have any, you know. Yeah, you're not making dividends off of it or anything. I'm looking at it as I want this uh, my asset over here, right? Because nobody's yeah, going to mess with it. It's the digital money under your mattress. Yeah. yeah, it's the digital money under your mattress. Yeah. Basically, it's uh, so who who knows? Again, not financial advice. And again, you should diversify. You should have your money all over the place, and not that's just right. with one bank or one. <clears throat> stock or i mean i back in the day i remember when pet you know my my old company pet media who uh you know i, I tell this you've heard this a million times robert but maybe our new listeners haven't in uh in 2001 2000 2001 when i started with penton media the stock price i believe was 32 dollars, and 18 months later it was seven cents so that's wow. how much value that polizzi added to uh to penton sure. media and uh, and there were uh, employees at Penton that I loved that had their entire yeah. 401k in company stock. So yeah, well here, so so I got one okay. for you. So for our for the new listeners, but when I joined uh, US Web in two in 1999, I got stock options uh, at um, so as part of my employment, and in the middle, right in the so and basically it went for, when I joined. It was at 40, 40 something, 37. Oh, and that was a high flyer stock, too. At- yeah, it's a, that's right. That's right. And it went to 40. The, the peak was 46, I think. Okay. Right bef- So, d- literally a month before the stock went to zero. So, it went from 45 to zero in about four months because um, <clears throat> it was just crazy, right? The burnout, the supernova that was the dot com bust. I sold. Because I, my wife and I bought a house, so I cashed in. I, I, everybody thought I was the dumbest, stupidest. And I, by the way, I was. This is in 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 you know hindsight being twenty twenty. It was genius. It looks like a genius move on paper, but it was literally because we really wanted to buy a house, and so we I cashed out. I cashed out of all my things that I invested, and got enough for a down payment on a house. 
And literally the next month it went to zero and I was laid off and, <laughs> and, and that my, my, uh, my severance check bounced. Um, it was, it was bad. It was, it was, that was the, that was the value that I brought to, to, to March 1st, 45 to zero in six months. Wow. Was it was such a crazy time. I had, that's when I first yeah. really started dabbling in investing. And I believe that Excite, which became Excite at home, remember Excite, the search engine, like sure. was sort of a Yahoo yeah. takeoff. Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be the yeah. biggest company in the world. I thought it was going to be what Amazon is today. And I remember I put yeah. a good chunk of money into that. Worthless today, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And, but you learn yeah, those lessons. Go. Well, remember Go? Yes. Go? Absolutely. I remember yeah, all company the Lycos and who, Go yeah, and we, the, yeah. the whole thing. And people are, we're totally dating ourselves because. Oh it, yeah, that was the first. It was the first that was uh, that year was my first experience. I didn't get it, but I had so many friends and colleagues at US Web. It was what I I finally learned what a margin call was, and I literally remember being in a meeting with a client, and a guy, one of our one of our colleagues, got a margin call in the middle of the meeting, where he owed. You know, they basically the the bank called him and said. Uh, you owe about two hundred thousand dollars. Oh no! Right? What a horrible feeling! Because <laughs> oh my god, it was it crushed him. It it, it completely crushed him, and it, it was just like it was just the, the it was such a weird and wild time. Margin, do not play with it. It is no. It is not. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is not. Well, see, we you know we talked about. So I learned my whole oh yeah, don't do the day trading thing back in two thousand and two thousand one. Oh yeah. But see, now we're getting too, into yeah. it. That's where you and I have been railing on this whole DraftKings uh, online gambling thing because that's this that's the it's the same thing, but they're just oh, doing yeah. it on sports now, and it's my concern. But th- here's my biggest concern, Robert: that you can hook up your debit card or your credit card with this thing, and I wish I wish that that wasn't possible. Like I would rather it you had to act, deliver. Okay, I'm going to Add transfer funds it, yeah. over. I don't. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. Yeah, add some friction don't, to it. Yeah, yeah. we need that's, we need lots sure. lots more friction. Everything else going okay uh, in your besides everything the downfall good? of the yeah. U.S. economic system. Everything else is good. It's going to be fine, folks. The the economic system is going to be fine. Do not listen to this chuckle. Did you? Everything's going to be fine. Pro, oh, geez, I'm sure you listened to Prop G. He was he basically went off on. I know he never said the guy's name. But the one yeah, he's Jason Calacanis. We'll say his name, yeah. but Prof G didn't yeah, say it. I'll say his name because Pro- yeah. Jason Calacanis came out. This is when this whole SVB thing was going on, and I re- and I saw the tweet. I don't know if you did. You probably you know, would, he comes out and Jason Calacanis said, "You should be terrified." All caps. Right. Get your money out now. It's going to zero. Yeah. <laughs> so so and this here here you go. Here's here's the final thing that wraps this whole thing into a beautiful little bow. In 2001, after I left US Web, after I got canned um, and laid off, I went and I joined my pals who also got all laid off in a startup, right? So we started this little startup together um, called Crown Peak. And uh, it was basically an enterprise software tool and blah, blah, blah. And I was ahead of marketing and product and all that kind of stuff. But guess who? My, so the, I was head of marketing. And so we did our very first uh, booth. Um, at the remember the Jupiter show, remember yeah, the Jupiter sure. uh, event, yeah. Guess who my sales guy was? My sales guy for the Jupiter event was it Jason? A guy Calacanis? by the name of Jason Calacanis. Yep. No way. Yeah. How about that? So that was right before he really became because he, oh, it was, he yeah, then it went was before, and went was, into influencer realm and was pretty. Like I remember what was it? Oh five, oh six, oh seven. South by Southwest. He was very well known. Or maybe I'm maybe right. I, those he, are the wrong dates, but it's a little it's a little yeah, early. So it was probably oh seven oh eight. He's yeah. that he got into. He, first of all, he got into podcasting, um, and then he went he went deep in on the startup world. He and so here in L.A., he was actually here in L.A. and he was a big part of the Silicon Beach uh, thing here in L.A. and he uh, he he got he got big into the startup world. And I, I knew a lot of the people who, who ended up starting companies that he was, and then he got into the incubator stuff. And from the incubator stuff, he got into investing. And then from investing, he got into sort of re, re-brought it right, right around into the influencer thing. And so, and that's, and then, yeah. Yeah, I think I was a little bit early because it was, 
I think it was, it, I was at South by doing presentations in, I think, 08 and 09. I think in 09, when I went down there, I just was walking down the street in Austin and he was sitting at a table having coffee. And I just said, Hey, Jason, you don't know me and talked it up. And he was very nice. I mean, oh, yeah. He's a nice very, guy. Very, very nice. Yeah, he, no, nothing, he's a nice guy. Nothing wrong with it. But he, that was, you know. it was funny that, that you heard the same thing I did from Prof G's podcast, who did not say yeah. his name, but basically called him out. Oh, I knew exactly who it was. Yeah, I knew. So, I knew as soon as you started talking about him, I like, and that's Jason. That's so crazy. Yeah. So, do we have yeah. do we have news Anyways, this week? We sir? Ha- we do have a show. Actually, yes, we have a wonderful show uh, here to talk about and and really bring all of this sort of marketing, media, finance all together oh, for in you. A nice. Little uh, we will start. We will start our show with uh, talking about TikTok because as we speak, literally as we record this, uh, Mr. Chu has gone to Washington. Uh, and is testifying before Congress <laughs> about all of the wonderful things that is going on, uh, and we'll we'll speak about that. We'll then talk about streaming services and how there may or may not be a slowdown coming uh, soon to a theater near you or to a television streaming near you. Uh, then we'll talk maybe a little bit about social media and how it's moving from public discussion to private messaging and what that might mean for marketers. Uh, and then if we have some time, we'll talk a little bit more about influencer kids and those who have had their childhood made into content and what's going on with all of that. Uh, if we absolutely run out of t- or don't run out of time, rather, we'll talk a little bit about Meta and how they're winding down support for NFTs on Instagram and Facebook. That was the short experiment that almost never really was. Then I will common, uh, provide a little commentary on YouTube and their new announcement in podcasting uh, and also talk about this new app that is hoping to win with uh, cough zero party data. Oh, you hate cough, that. Cough, um, uh, you hate so that you, term. You, I guess I'm, I, I think you're going to guess where I'm going I with that. Know, but, yeah. uh, and, and Joe will uh, uh, give a little bit of commentary about Rand's new rant. Uh, Rand Fishkin has a new rant about ChatGPT, and he's going to talk a little bit about that. So a fun, fun, interesting show, I think. Yeah, I actually yes. thought we were going to go into fourth quarter planning on on financial concerns but thankfully you and i are going to talk about marketing here for the next 45 minutes yeah exactly so we'll, marketing and we'll, media. we'll do that all right where are we starting exactly all right well we're going to start here with the tiktok story mr chu goes to washington um as i just mentioned he is today uh he, i don't think he's going to be doing a lot of speaking um he's going to be doing a lot of like nodding as as uh the congress critters yell at him uh from across the dais uh and he will face the house energy and commerce committee during his first appearance before congress uh and it's uh, kicking off literally as we speak so we've got three stories here that we will link to in the show notes but basically just a discussion about all of this the one that sort of anchors this whole thing is a new york times uh article that we will link to that opens up by saying the platforms are so powerful their names are verbs google uber instagram netflix for years the dominance of american tech companies has brought economic benefits to the united states and it has also offered an advantage in a less obvious area national security tech companies gather incredible amounts of data about their users they know where we travel who our friends are who we watch what we watch uh, and they want to use this data for surveillance law enforcement and espionage so they hack hoard steal and buy it it's very new york timesy article um, and it goes on basically for some length, I think in a really very good way uh, to provide sort of a 101 or a overview or a, I don't know what you would call it, a primer really on what's going on with TikTok and sort of the, the, the controversy therein. We'll also cover a TechCrunch article that talks about the, in the heat leading up to this, uh, Mr. Chu, the CEO of TikTok, has taken to the app to announce that uh, the U.S. has more than 150 million active users on the platform. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to. I'm not sure that's going to buy him any sort of uh, sort of clout here. But uh, other than sort of make, making make the point, the yeah. point for them, yeah. Um, but anyway, so the TechCrunch, the TechCrunch article goes goes on to talk about how uh, the the um, well remarkable rise. And also about how he's going to be taking the stand and, and going into there. And the last one we'll link to, but probably not talk a lot about, um, because, but it's a great article, uh, is from Government Technology, which goes has a state-by-state uh, sort of 
listing of where TikTok is banned and, and the actions that states have taken. Really good informative article if you're looking to get an overview on all of this. So just a bunch of stuff. It's, it's, it's the hottest news, I guess. Um, so what do you, what's your take? Well, yeah, we've talked about it, but it is sort of a new development that uh, seems to be coming to the, to the head as we're, Washington is actually talking about this. And uh, I don't want to mean to laugh about it, but I'm just reading some of this. You know, you've got a few of these Congress people that are like, you know, TikTok is on my phone. It's in my pants. It's the spy. <laughs> it's yeah, right. <laughs> I read the thing that said spy balloon. You know, there's a spy balloon on my phone in my pants. I'm like, I come on. Come on. We don't. Are we going there? Spy balloon. Mr. Republican. Now that there's is. A, there's your headline for the show. A there's a spy balloon, balloon in your pants. In my pants. Um, that's right. But I mean, if you look at it from the tension that's been happening between the United States and China, and of course, the, the balloon thing that, that happened a couple weeks ago and. This is an issue. I do like the way that New York Times is the step-by-step. You know, there's there's the two issues that's going on. One is this national security issue, and whether you believe this or not, you know, BuzzFeed talked about the fact that they they found that ByteDance was taking some of this data that was acquired via uh, TikTok and IP addresses, and Forbes uh found a similar thing as well using some of this data so there's a there's a security issue and then the, you're right making the point that 150 million Americans have downloaded and are using TikTok basically makes the point that they this culture making machine of TikTok as we know can be manipulated and it might be right now I don't know I mean, I don't think this is a conspiracy theory. I think that we just need are stating facts that, yes, when you can control the narrative of what's going on in the United States, at least partially, that's a big deal. I, and at the same time, that's how China treats it with all U.S. apps. If we, if we talked about in the show, if you, there's no United States-based app that has anything going on in China. Uh, they China treats yeah. this as a nas- national security issue. So now we've got TikTok on the hill right now, and the states are going one by one into at least saying, "Hey, if you're a government employee, you can't have this on your device." And it's funny, um, Mark Maxheimer, who runs our growth and uh, and partnerships at at the Tilt, said he went to Cleveland Clinic. Um, he was there for an appointment, and he got on the Wi-Fi and was not was blocked from using TikTok on that Wi-Fi. There's just little things, little, little points that we're making here, but it's it seems to be coming to a head. My question back to you is, is there enough here that the United States is actually going to do something about it, or is, just, is this all bluster like it was in 2020? I think for the most part, it's bluster but i do believe that there will be some action taken um and i think it'll be relatively soon i mean i don't think anybody should expect tiktok to be banned next week um i I think this is going to be this is going to go on for some time and the reason it's going to go on for some time is because it's great fodder for sound bites for the the congress critters that are that are actually you know uh railing against that. The ones that are saying there's a spy balloon in my pants. Um, So it's great fundraising. It's great fodder for discussion. um, And I don't think, you know, in the name of them, quote unquote, not making a rash decision, they're going to extend this out for for some time. And I could see a deal being made where TikTok spins out in some in some fashion. Um, I I don't see that. I mean, I think the uh, Mr. Chu has come out and said, listen, if you spin it out, it, it doesn't really make any sense because that doesn't solve your security concern. I agree with that, by the way. Um, I don't think it does solve the con- security concern because if if you believe that the CCP can control it now, I don't know why you wouldn't believe that the CCP wouldn't that's, have backdoors into it if it spins out the company. I mean, I, it's... That's the that's the that issue, right? If you believe... and Because right. that's, that's what... Uh, Mr. Chu is trying to present and saying, oh, the, China has never asked for our data and we've never given that data. But if you believe that that's a possibility, that makes the case. That's it. Because it's the it's the case with every other Chinese owned company that I'm aware of. Right. If if China, if the Chinese government asks for something, you have to give it to them. 
Right. I mean, if you listen, I mean, you could literally take them at their word. The Chinese government has never asked for data, nor have we ever given it. Right. They don't have to ask, and you don't have to give. They just take it. <laughs> you know, there, there's not, there, it's, it, it is as simple as that. I'm sure that, you know, I mean, there have been all kinds of reports around how uh, Chinese uh, and or other countries, by the way, have surreptitiously put in employees into some of our biggest companies to do exactly what we're talking about here, right? Which is to either very, you know, in a very manual way, socially engineer the extraction of data or information or those kinds of things back to the CCP, you know, whether it's, you know, getting an engineer hired at Google or getting an engineer hired at, you know, Twitter or wherever it is, and those people can do what they're going to do to, you know, putting in those back doors that allow them to either affect the algorithm and or now you might argue that there are ways, better ways to detect that if it's spun out or that there are ways to prevent some of those things. I don't disagree, but it's but but it doesn't solve the issue. Right. All it does is change the issue. And the only way you really solve this, if you really do believe that this is going to happen, is you have to ban it. You have to ban it full stop. And as I've said all along, I think that's fine. I, I think that's fine if they decide to ban it. Because, by the way, China bans everything else of ours, right, from Facebook to Google to, you know, all the uh, so many other technology platforms. And it's not that it's only available in a certain way or that there's a spun out Chinese company that offers it in a certain way. No, they just say, you're competing with one of our companies. Boom, you're out. You don't, we're not, we're not allowing that. And by the way, you know, we're not going to allow you to show any content um, that is untoward toward talking about the Uyghurs or, or, you know, anything like that as well. So there's all kinds of things to think about here. And I, I just happen to believe that if you're going to ban it, ban it, right? Just, just ban it. it. There's, there's no reason to create this policy that tries to create some sort of platform or foundational idea of what, you know, to, that sets all this up because it, you're either banning foreign national platforms that have the ability to affect algorithms or you're not. I, 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 I think it's as simple as that. It's because anything that tries to set up an infrastructure where we're going to have rules and if-then statements and all that sort of thing, I, because then you have to apply it to all of our companies too. And I think that's, there's, you know, in the article that you uh, forwarded over from uh, GovTech, which by the way, is a great article. It's the one that goes by state sure. by state. There's, there's a, <clears throat> there's a quote from uh, one of the, um, uh, from the Electronic Frontier Foundation that talks about, a wider ban basically stifling some of the freedom of speech and might censor political activism on some of the other platforms. And I don't disagree with that. I think that might be a little extreme, but, you know, EFF not known for their uh, lack of hyperbole. But, but um, you know, it's, I think it's a, really, it's a really interesting issue, and I think it's, it's one that has so many subtleties, so many complexities, and as usual— our government is taking a bat to it. And I just, I just think it's, you know, I just, I, I wish we would have a little more nuance to our thinking. I, I think this, this part in the New York Times article really hit me hard here because if you play devil's advocate it, right now, we know that the United States is trying to paint China and the, the secure, this is a, a security issue. We've got to batten down the hatches. This is China, China, China. But the real issue is, is that the United States has had and continues to have access to Google and Uber and Instagram and Netflix and all that information because those are U.S. owned companies and they have rules where they get it, they buy it, they leverage it for their own, for United States surveillance purposes. And this might be the first time that the U.S. feels behind the curve when it comes to surveillance. It is. Right. That's so right. they're trying to say, look, we were the leaders in the world, but now uh, China's really catching up here because of this TikTok thing. What do we do? So where I think everybody's, oh, no, this is about our security and whatever. I think it's the fact that the U.S. feels way behind the curve with this one and can't do anything yes. because they can't get TikTok's data and where they can get uh, Instagram's data or Netflix's data. That's right. So let's just look at it that way. I mean, yeah. My son would I mean, always I, say, hey, what? yeah, you can look at China as the, you know, the big bad person in this whole thing. But 
you know that U.S. has these desires and needs as well. Of course. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, of course. Right. I mean, I, I you you said it uh, really well, I think, and it was, it was something that um, I thought uh, Professor Galloway actually said really well, uh, which it was almost a throwaway line, he said, but I think it's a really interesting observation, which is in the U.S., our culture here in the U.S. is that we are easily fooled but very, very difficult to admit that we've been fooled. And it is, it is in that idea, in that sort of exceptionalism idea, where we say we're, you know, we, we, we tend to really have uh, a, a, a refusal to admit that, you know, we, we, we have been fooled. Um, but interestingly, because, you know, we're, we're, we're not catching up, we're not more nuanced and looking at our, uh, the various things that are going on in the world, we tend to, we tend to believe that we're a little bit, you know, a little, you know, we get a little arrogant, right? We get a little ahead of ourselves and it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing when you start to look at it because you're absolutely right, both on the sense of we're doing this too. Um, which isn't an excuse, by the way. It's just it's just an observation that we do this as yes. well, um, and the aff- affectation of an uh, of an algorithm is something that is global in nature. And if we don't think we're doing this with Facebook in other countries or Google in other countries or those kinds of things, well, you know, I mean, you're you're just kidding yeah. yourself. So, but it may not be for espionage, and it may not be you know, it may literally be just shaping opinions in a way that. We don't know, you know what I mean. There's the conscious and unconscious of this, right? We we're so afraid that China is trying to consciously change the opinion of America's through the m- manipulation of the algorithm, or consciously espionage and look for the location of some individual by you know the fact that they can dig into that uh, location-based data, et cetera. Um, but we also there's the unconscious as well, which we've seen plenty of, right? You know the Facebook and Instagram affecting the way teens look at themselves, and those are all just externalities of a, of of the same kind of algorithm. It's just an unconscious, like oh darn it, we didn't mean to do that, right? So it's just it's a very complex issue, and yeah. and I I my my hope is is that we can we can start to look at it as no, such. you're you're right. If you look at the the two concerns of Chinese espionage and then leveraging the algorithm in ways that the country might not approve of or like. You could say that the United States is doing that in literally every country. So, yeah, here we go. We're, this is yeah, this is against us, and oh my gosh, you know, this is <clears throat> that I get. So, so just to to wrap this up, and we'll get on to the next one. I think yeah. from a prevention, yeah. I think a diversification strategy is needed if you're heavy TikTok as a marketer or creator. Like re, you should prepare. You should prepare that it's six months before Google Plus announces that they're going out of business and you've got a big presence on Google Plus. Now, if yeah. nothing happens, great, you're fine. But you might want to, if you've got a good following on TikTok and you're doing some amazing things that's, that's leveraging your business in some way, I, I think that, totally. yeah, I don't know if it's 50 50 here. If you're I don't know if it's going to be a band completely, yeah. but something's going to happen <clears throat> and you're going to need to do something. So there you go. Yeah, if you're if you're a content creator here, um, you need to find the door, right? You need to find the exit door. You know, you, you may not use it yet, but you need to find one. You need to find your exit door and be prepared. This is where we yeah, where we talk about some kind of a get get the first party data, addressable data, email marketing yep. would be great if you wanted to have. Oh, I'm I'm going to diversify into Instagram Reels as well because of you know th- those those are conversations you need to have. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Prepare, by the way, I think prepare for the easy migration tools of some kind, right? You know, I mean, I, and maybe this is, is impossible given the way that TikTok uh, structures their thing, but I, 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 would, I could see Google, Facebook, uh, well, just say Google and Meta, right, offering up, hey, it's easy to export your things to our new platforms. You know, if, if you're on TikTok and want to get out, you can always just export it over here and start anew. So true. Yeah, I mean, and and we haven't even talked about it on this episode, but you've got their lobbying concerns well represented on the Hill right now. Oh yeah, well how, yeah, it's pretty amazing how quiet right now. You know, it's like uh, Google uh, Meta have anything to th- say about Could this? You ima- yeah, well, could you imagine? Yeah, well, could you imagine being there. Evan Spiegel uh, from Snapchat? 
and be like, oh, oh yeah. please, for the exactly. love of God, this would be the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Please, 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 man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's move on to our next story here, which is about uh, media and streaming. And the this comes to us courtesy of Axios, where analysts are now predicting streaming spend and new content slowdown in 2023. Um, the article opens up with a graph actually showing the share of total TV consumption by type. And it's a fascinating graph actually showing that uh, streaming has had an astronomical rise uh, over the last, uh, well, let's call it year and a half, um, really since the latter part, you know, Q4 of 2021 has been rising, but has really in the beginning of this year seen a pretty steep decline uh, in terms of its share Cable just continuing to go downward, broadcast continuing to go downward, and then they have this other, which has seen an, an amazing rise. I'm not sure what's covered in other, um, but this uh, the, the 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 data comes out of Nielsen, um, which makes all the sense in the world of why other would be unexplained because Nielsen is so good at not explaining anything they do. Oh, did I say that out loud? Anyway, the article opens up by saying the number of new original scripted series may start to shrink this year or next after hitting a record high in 2022, say analysts. The amount spent on new content will also slow or contra uh, contract for most of the traditional entertainment companies. Uh, under pressure to produce profits, media companies are now beginning to pivot their strategies from producing a glut of original content for their own platforms to more cautious spending and licensing out more content to competitors. The number of shows is down this year, and there's no reason to expect it to climb back to prior levels since Michael Pachter, managing editor of equity research at Wedbush Securities. Everybody suddenly recognized that profitability matters, and they're cutting costs wherever they can. I expect more overseas production, but far less domestically. This uh, all goes um, and and continues to go on, basically talking about how uh, a leading leading media analyst firm uh, predicted a flattening in 2023 after two years of strong digital content growth, and uh, talking about some of the specific players in here, including Apple and Warner Brothers, uh, and uh, all of those kinds of things. What is your what is your take on this whole media slowdown and content? creation slowdown, I guess, is really what we're talking about. Well, here. a couple things. First of all, just a side note, it's interesting. 30% still in cable. Everyone talks about how cable is dead. 30%. It's going down every year, but it is, it's still on, it's still there. It's still right at the top. How many yeah. people still have cable is killing me. So congratulations to three out of 10 people in the United States that still have cable. It's amazing. Th this it was interesting when we started to see this really boot up at the end of 2020 and into 21, the amounts of billions of dollars that Apple and Amazon and Netflix and Disney Plus were spending on content. And that was not sustainable. We talked about it many times on the show that there's no way that that's what's going to happen. And finally, you had this little downtick with the economy and you had all these high flying tech stocks go down and people said, oh, my God, you know, we can't spend 30 billion dollars this year on content because that is not going to in any way make us profitable. So they're just being more prudent, uh, as you say, get the get the pencil out, little, sharpen the pencils, if you will, and figure those things out. And that's happening. And. What is most interesting, I wanted to get your take on this, Robert, because we've talked about it many times, this move back to licensing. Because you went, because if you look at the Netflix model, it was all licensing. And then Netflix has slowly moved to this original content model, which has been an amazing move for them. And now still doing it. But if you look at a lot of the content that's on Netflix right now, they're licensed foreign programming that they're bringing over and they're dubbing and they're changing some things. So they're... There may be, maybe they went too far into the original content, and now it's like a healthy, I don't know what it is, 50-50 or what it is between original programming and licensing, but you're seeing that move back there because in, in tough economic times, it's not a horrible strategy to look at licensed content. So I don't know. What do you think about that one? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, you know, I, here's the thing. I, I, this is sort of the, the easiest thing to predict um, and just part of a normal cycle, I would say, right? I mean, I'm not sure there's a lot of news here. Um, you know, I mean, it's a really safe bet, just be honest. The, 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 it's a, if, if you had said, make a prediction about content spending in 2023. Down. It's going to come down. <laughs> right. I mean, 
99 percent said because down. It's, yeah. it, because it's so high, right? I mean, it, it, it got to it, it got to ridiculous levels in 21 and 22. And so, it, of course, it was going to come down, if only to uh, create some level of sanity, because you had this race that was going on for all these brand new networks that were that were being launched by the major media companies, right? So everybody had to invest in content so that you could have a splashy launch. And that was all competing against Netflix because they saw the astronomical rise of Netflix. And so it was like, okay, if, if Apple, if we're going to do this, if uh, Disney, we're going to do this, if uh, HBO Max and Warner Brothers, basically, if we're going to do this, then you... you they I, they had to keep pace, right? Amazon had to keep pace. Now, the interesting to me, the outlier here is Amazon, right? Because Amazon, uh, I think, you know, of all of them, Amazon uses theirs much more as a content marketing platform than they do than than the others do. In other words, for Amazon, it's nice if it's a profitable business, but there it's not a profitable business, right? The Amazon Prime Video is not a profitable business by any stretch of the imagination. So it's like a loyalty, they, more loyalty effort. It's, a, than it's loyalty for Amazon Prime, right? It's, that's exactly what it is, and it may, you know they've done the research to show that um, you know Amazon Prime subscribers uh, pay more. Than you know, up to three x more, I think, on a yearly basis than normal Amazon users, and so this is a loyalty play to keep them buying more Amazon stuff. So, in some ways, Amazon is a bit of an outlier here in terms of the business model of streaming media. But the others, of course, not. I'm what I'm struck by here is honestly, if you look at the graph that they have in the Axios gra- uh, uh, article here, just how flat it's been over the last. You know, it's it's. You know, I mean, it's relatively flat. You know, it's not like there's been major changes, except for this other category, which, by the way, as you were talking, I was trying to go out to Nielsen and actually find out what they mean. I mean, I don't know what the hell it is other that has gone from 6% at the end of 2022 to doubling almost to almost 12% by 2023. If somebody can illuminate that for me, it's like cable streaming and broadcast. What is other? Would it be some of these other apps and over-the-top services like a Pluto TV and other things that you can find on Roku? Roku would be another one, maybe. But isn't that streaming? But isn't that streaming? Share of total t- TV I mean, consumption by type, other. Right, right. I mean, and that other is the story here. I mean, that's the story. Other double. The story is really uh, other. So we have other, to go find. Well, yeah, more we than double if there. You, if, more than doubled if you go back to October of 2022, where it was at 3.8%. So literally from October of 2022, according to this graph, according to Nielsen, from in October of 2022, it was 3.8% of the share of total TV consumption. And then by 2023, February, what is that, six months? No, uh, just, yeah, just five months. It is now... Twelve percent. It's eleven point seven percent. Okay. Well, that's that's tripling. That's tripling their share when in three months. Maybe that's the the TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, video effect. I don't know. I'm gonna make sure. it up stuff. I, I don't guess, know. We're gonna have to find out. Yeah, we'll have to find out. Yeah, about I mean, next episode. It's it's uh, yeah, it's fantastic. You know. So as we go through this, maybe I'll try and do a little research as uh, as 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 we're well. While, while I'm while I'm talking on me, something because you normally don't listen to what I'm talking about. So you that's true. You could, that's correct. You could use that time, well spent, and yeah. find out these answers really, for our audience. Truly, yeah. truly, truly, <laughs> truly. All right, let's move on to our next story here, which is a really interesting one um, that actually comes to us courtesy of uh, well, it's social media today. Um, and the headline here is really an interesting one. It's worth discussion for sure. It says, as more social media discussion is moving to messaging, it's important for marketers to take note here. Uh, the article opens up by saying, messaging is the new social feed, with more and more users opting to share updates via more intimate circles within DMs as opposed to posting to their main public stream. A key reason behind this is the divisive nature of conversations within social apps, more political and topical discussion leading to argument, often causing more angst than it's worth. You've likely experienced this yourself, the article says. How many times have you felt the urge to post something, started typing it out, and then thought, nah, not worth it? You might have an opinion on the issue of the day, but is that opinion strong enough to defend your position if you get challenged? Do you really want to wade into an argument with randoms in the comments? For most, they don't. 
which then pushes more people toward more private sharing because most people have simply had enough of the back and forth that can come with public posting. And that's how leading to a significant shift in focus for the main social apps. Meta, which has seen a big shift toward engagement within messaging, is leaning into this. New additions like channels on Instagram, which is essentially broadcast messaging, and the reintegration of Messenger into the main Facebook app. That could have big impacts on the way that people interact across Facebook and Instagram, while Instagram is also experiencing, uh, experimenting with enhanced sharing options and DMs, like highlighting previously posts within your inbox. Uh, the article goes on to talk a little bit more about this um, so that it can meet some SEO uh, requirements. But other than that, that's kind of the point. What do you, what do you think? What do you make of all I, I mean, I'm trying to look at my own behavior. I, I do, I am belonging to a couple groups that we, te- we have text strings or message strings, and it's just a smaller group of people. I don't know if that's any more or less than it's been in the past. So I guess my question back to you, is this really a thing? Are they... Is, is this Facebook saying, oh, Facebook groups started to do really well. WhatsApp really taking off. Amazing. So the future of of, of uh, social media is not this broad reach of people. They're small groups, many of these smaller groups, depending on what I'm focusing on and, and who the people are. Is that what we're feeling here? Or is- I, well, I think that's I think that's entirely accurate. I <laughs> I'm not sure about the motivation because I don't know that that behavior has changed, right? So it's not, I don't think people have moved their political discussions to private DMs. What I find is, is that they've moved their regular conversations, in other words, sharing about their kids or their vacation or all those sorts of things into communities um, that tend to be more birds of a feather kind of thing, right? So I'm, I'm the member of many private communities on Facebook, and it's pretty much how I use Facebook these days. I mean, I, I post the occasional thing on Facebook. You know, if, if you were to follow my Facebook feed, you'd probably get one post from me every month, every couple of weeks maybe. Um, and it's typically going to be a picture of where I am, right? You know, a beautiful sunset or, you know, something like that that I find fascinating or a movie that I just watched and I'm giving a review of or something like that. But uh, it's not that I'm not posting on Facebook. I'm just posting in groups. So I get it, but it's not that I'm saving my political discussions there, um, and it's not that I'm trying to save my controversy there for the sort of echo chamber that, that the groups can sometimes provide. It's because, honestly, it's the other way around. I'm tired of the political discussion on the public feeds and the vitriol and the arguments and all those kinds of things, and that sort of bores me for the most part. And so it's like, I just, I don't want to, it's not that I don't want to create it, I don't want to consume it. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I, just, I just scroll past it and go right to my communities there. I do think, however, that the article makes a really important point, which is it is something that marketers need to pay attention to, um, which is how do you start taking it? I mean, we've seen the lean into communities as, a, uh, as an overarching trend in both in B2B and B2C marketing is building, building community, build, you know, you, we, you and I have talked for years about building audiences, and now more and more, what I find we're, us having conversations on are building communities. And it uh, isn't it, uh, uh, Chris. Um, it, he had the wonderful quote, which I, I, I always love so much, and I use. Um, it, he's he uh, um, said basically the difference between an audience and a community is which where the chairs are pointed. Oh, that was um, J- that was I, Jay Conzo said that i thought unless jay stole Jay-Kunzo? it from chris I, no i think I, I yeah i think it's i, I think it was chris um uh, why am i i'm blanking on his last name please uh, um it's all right anyway, all right we'll get, think of you'll, it you'll think yeah. of it when we'll, uh, we'll, when yeah. you're not listening to me um anyway that's right <laughs> i got so many i got so many things to not yeah. listen to you about um Anyway, that's my that's my take here is is that yes, I do believe there is a move to communities, which I don't necessarily, by the way, think is a good thing ultimately because it does keep us in our echo chambers to a certain extent and keeps us, uh, you know, sort of more tribal uh, in our in our in our interactions, and we lose a lot of sort of external opinion on that stuff. But I also think it may it may be the sort of the way that social media is definitely going. I think that the if you're if you have a larger marketing department, you want to make sure that you have your marketing individuals, parts of these different communities that are going on. I think that a lot of marketing teams don't want to do that because they believe it gives too much power to the individual. Uh, But I think that's really important to do. So if you have, let's say, 50 different groups out there that you should be a part of uh, that 
that would help you with your marketing initiative, you should split up your team to cover those as individuals, right. as just to be part of them and say, hey, be, you know, do, do your thing, be an active member in this. I think that'll protect you from a lot of these things. And you'll also see the behavior that's coming around, whether it is getting into these small echo chambers, as you say, or built small communities, or it's something different. So I don't think a lot of uh, enterprise marketing leads are thinking about that kind of thing. How how can I lift my own employees up so that they're thought leaders, so they're thinking about this, and so they're learning and give them the time to learn in these communities as well so they can come back and report so we can be better marketers. So I don't know. Yeah, it's Chris Brogan, by the way. Um, and I can't believe I couldn't remember it. Chris, I love Chris. we love Chris. Um, and, and, I was just talking yeah, with Chris, Chris today. Is, yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I don't know why I blanked on his last name, but there you go. Chris Brogan, lovely, 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 lovely man. Um, and I believe he is the source of the, I mean, the, the, the internet will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he is. We'll the give source credit to, to Chris Brogan and Jay Akunzo because I, I, I heard it from Jay. You heard it from Chris. We'll just yeah. call it even. There you go. <laughs> well, they're both from Boston. So there you have it. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's move on to our, let's see, where That's are we? Probably, we're, we're probably at time at Rants Yeah, and we Raves. probably are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's get to Rants and Rave, shall we? Um, so before we get to Rants and Raves, of course, I just want to remind all of you that we've got great stuff. We do have some great stuff over at thisoldmarketing.site, our wonderful little website that contains all this nonsense that we, you and I talk about. You, meaning you, the audience, can subscribe to Joe's amazing newsletter, The Tilt, over there. That's a great place to go subscribe to that. You can link up and join uh, our little experience advisors community, which also contains a newsletter. And you can generally immerse yourself in the 367 hours of chuckle-headed goodness that the past episodes of This Old Book oh bring gosh, to you. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. Isn't that great? And, of course, the show notes for all the episodes. We bookmark it all for you so you don't have to. That's how much we love you. Of course, story ideas, story ideas. You can talk to us literally by leaving us a voicemail. Send us a note, story ideas. You can love us. You can sing us a song, tell us a story, recite a poem, whatever you like. But you can also... Get us on Twitter. I'm back. I'm going to come back. I'm on, I'm on Twitter again. So hashtag us up at This Old Marketing with story ideas. We love those things. Um, and uh, yeah, with that, um, I've, got, I've got my commentary. You want me to go first or do you want to I'll, go first? I'll go, I'll go first. And then, and then okay. so you can do all your all research right. now. I'll go into my little, yeah. <laughs> little thing. So uh, I, right. my, my whole thing is uh, uh, ChatGPT, as we've talked about, the, the new version 4 has come out. Everyone's excited about it. And I had some really good experiences with three and how I use it for headlines, you know, brainstorming and editing and whatnot. So all really good. I guess my concern and I want to play devil's advocate and I'm going to bring Rand Fishkin in here to talk about it where you and I have made fun of this before. I, I think that a lot of marketers are treating ChatGPT as sort of their own little Teddy Ruxpin for marketing. So that we're <laughs> it's like, I need my little Teddy Ruxpin friend to tell me what to do and that it's, everything's going to be okay. That's sort of what we're seeing, but I want people to understand that what uh, comes out of ChatGPT is not always true or real uh, or 100% correct. And I found this little um, post from Rand Fishkin. I'll put this in the show notes. But Rand's been doing a lot of playing around with ChatGPT and just wanted to make sure that everyone knows that if you go into the FAQ page for OpenAI, who founded ChatGPT4, will tell you these three things. Really important. Number one, ChatGPT's training data cuts off at 2021. So this means it, and this is really right from the FAQ. This And Rand is sharing this cut and paste. This means it is completely unaware of current events, trends, or anything that's happening after its training. It will not be able to respond appropriately to questions or topics that require up-to-date knowledge or information. It does not know who is president of the United States, the latest viral meme, or what day it is. So that's just one. Two, ChatGPT has no external capabilities and cannot complete lookups. This means that it cannot access the internet, search engines, databases, and so on. Number three, it cannot verify facts. Very important, folks. Provide references or perform calculations or translations. It can only generate responses based on its own internal knowledge and logic. So Rand is going on and saying, you know, it's really fine to be excited. I'm sort of saying the same thing. I'm on his site here, but make sure that when you post about ChatGPT or you use ChatGPT, you know that a lot of the information is incorrect or it's not able to do all the things we believe it's able to do. And, and setting those realistic expectations are really important. It's just a tool, folks. 
It's a really good, amazing tool. It'll never be, get put back into the corner again. Baby is out, and we've got to let it run free, but it is not perfect by any means. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah. Rand was a nice little motivation for me, and I'll make sure that his full statement is in the show notes and he gets credit for that. That is good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. I, I you know, I, 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 foundationally, I agree with that, right? I mean, it is, it, you, you should know what you're getting yourself into. Um, for sure. I think that, Absolutely. I think the because amount I, of, and I, I don't know if you've seen this a lot, Robert, but a lot of people have come to me recently and said, Oh, I'm going to do my, my AI for content marketing or AI for this or AI for that and whatever. And this always happens when you get a new tool that comes out and that's all great. And there's thousands of these being created right now and only a few are going to make it. So that's the way it is. It happens all the time, but it is not the end all be all yet that I'm aware yeah, of. That's so. right. All right. You, you, right. have, uh, you have right. a couple uh, commentaries? I, I do, I do. And by the way, while you, while you were talking <laughs> on your wonderful little commentary, I did go find what the other category is, and you were correct. It is uh, Tubi, Pluto, uh, the ad-based uh, streaming network. So why don't they consider which, that streaming? Uh, you know, here we go. I mean, get me on a rant about Nielsen, right? I mean, because, okay, so where does, where does uh, Netflix's ad-supported thing go? I mean... Is, is Netflix is that big? Oh, but that's not category? that's not considered streaming because it's not subscript. It's not fully paid yeah. Yeah. subscription streaming. Uh, okay. Right. I mean, I just well, where do you go? I mean, so yeah. if 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 Netflix ad supported is competing with Tubi and Pluto and all of that, then why is uh, anyway? I'll get off on a rant on that. But okay. Ah, welcome to welcome to TV. I do have to say though that that Pluto and Tubi and I've heard a lot heard a lot more about those in the last six months. Oh, they're growing crazy fast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. they're they're really really growing growing crazy. Somebody brought up I was on an interview yesterday. They asked me about Pluto TV. I'm like, you're the first person that's ever asked me this question. It's like, yeah, if I want to watch 24 hours straight of Three's Company, Pluto's my place, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. Exactly. All right. I have um, I have two things to talk about. One is very quick. Very quick. YouTube uh, announced this week their launch of the podcast. We we talked about it a year ago. I went and looked a year ago. We talked about how YouTube was going to get into the business of of uh, of podcasting. They finally announced it that you can create podcasts in YouTube in the Creator Studio. And it's just the most underwhelming announcement of all time, perhaps. I mean, it's literally you. It, it, this is the entirety of the application. The entirety of the application is if you tag a playlist as a podcast, it is now a podcast. So it's literally just a playlist. <laughs> so yay, there you go. And you know, now as our friend Stephen Davis has pointed out to us, it's worth doing anyway, right? It's, it's if you're a podcaster or you're doing this thing, it's probably worth doing this because you do get some level of exposure on the YouTube podcast uh, page and you can perhaps get badges and you can perhaps get some new audience and reach out of that that you might not otherwise that basically would give you, I mean, for all the four people who actually listen to YouTube music, you could get your podcast subscribed there and all that sort of thing. But generally speaking, if you were expecting anything like neat with tools and all that sort of thing, then you, yeah, but you, you might the interesting well. thing, you're right. Absolutely correct about what you're saying. The interesting thing is there, if you look at get, get by YouTube music and YouTube slash podcasts, whatever it, they're, they're trying to formalize this thing. But if you ask how many people use YouTube to listen to podcasts or to listen to music, it's, it's huge. It's unbelievable. I mean, right. I, I, you could make the case that the number one or number two, platform for people listening to podcasts is on youtube that's right so it's just but they're not going to youtube.com slash podcast just like they're not going no, to youtube they're music they're a, just on youtube right. listening to music so correct and they find it as a search engine or yeah. they're finding it through you know you know they're, they're searching for joe rogan and they stumble on you yeah. right that's that's the that's the idea here um okay Next, uh, quick, I don't know if it's a rant or a rave or, or eh, no, it's definitely not a rave, but it may be a rant or commentary. Um, this is uh, courtesy of Digiday that there's a new app that's launching uh, through the Apple Store uh, that's hoping to win, as the headline says, with zero-party data when others haven't. And you all know how I love that term, zero-party data. Um, it is not, which is fascinating here because this is yet 
another definition. <laughs> so it's not it's not zero party data, and it's not really first party data. Um, nor is it what we typically call just first party data willingly given. Um, and so it, it's just so the article opens up by saying in the five plus years since Forrester first coined this term zero party data, uh, it has gone nowhere. No, I'm sorry. The article doesn't say that. But it actually says since they first coined the term zero party data defined as data that users intentionally share with a company, the phrase has been met with both eye rolls and enthusiasm. I would agree with that. Uh, often, depending on the audience, proponents say it's more of a privacy complaint compliant way to collect and apply consumer data. Uh, Skeptics see it as too buzzy, too naive, or too nebulous, or too disingenuous. Um, I don't think that's true. I think it's just, it's just, the name is silly. Um, It's just, it's just first party data that is willingly given. That's, that's all it is. Now, Here's the thing. This new app, I guess what it does, I have not downloaded it yet, but I guess the the way it's described in the article is, and this is for any of you who do go back all the way to the early dot-com areas, it's going to sound vaguely familiar, which is you download the app, you basically put in all your information, and they have partners, and apparently right now the partners are Netflix, uh, Uber, Airbnb, et cetera, and some others uh, that will basically allow you to connect your account. In other words, you can connect your account and get paid, by the way, for their ability to use your first-party data. Um, and so, you know, this. Uh, do you remember the remember the old days, Joe, when there were the advertising companies on the in dot com that would pay you to watch ads, mm-hmm. right? They would pay you sure. to, to watch the ad. That was that was. And, and in fact, there was a whole internet system. Uh, that was, uh, forgetting the name of it off the top of my head, but there was a whole, like you could get internet connectivity if you would just watch ads. In other words, they would give you free internet, uh, access to the internet if you would watch all these I ads. Prodigy did that have. for a while. Wasn't it something like that? Yeah, I think the Prodigy did it for a while, but it was more like one of the Earthlink. Oh, okay, got it. It was like, uh, yep. it was uh, a startup. I remember in the early days, it was very popular for about 10 minutes. Anyway, this is a whole thing, right? Where, you have the ability to give over your quote-unquote first-party data and get paid for it. But here's the thing. That, that's not really zero-party data. In other words, if I'm getting paid by a third party to give over my data, it's not, I'm not willingly giving that data because I trust the end user of it. I'm giving it because I want to get money for it. And I want to get paid for it. But that doesn't, so if I'm the user of that data, it's kind of silly because it's not really giving me good signal. It's not giving me good signal on intent. It's not giving me good signal on trust or brand or any of that. It's sort of, it's sort of the, you know, basically all we did was remove the middleman from third-party data. In other words, it's still buying a list. You're, you're still just buying a list of, of people and yes, maybe you're getting some behavioral data out of that, but you would from third-party data there too. But it's not zero-party data. It's not willingly given. It's sort of willingly given because I'm getting paid for it. So it's, I, I just think it's the dumbest idea ever. Um, and you know, with all due respect to the, the startup, I just think it's a, it's a silly, silly, silly idea. Apparently, they have 15,000 users at their launch here, um, and they basically haven't really come up with a name for it yet. Or whether the kind of what the kind of data is going to do, and they're offering all sorts of controls and transparency about how the data is going to get used, and all the things I would expect them to say. And basically, uh, there, the you know, there's some quotes in there about some people who 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 are also commenting on it. But I just wanted to say, it's it's not either. It's not either zero party data or really first party data willingly given. It is simply just data that you're buying that ultimately doesn't give you better marketing insight. That's my, that's my, I think you're just envious that you didn't think of the idea for that business. That's why. Could you really? Oh, hell no. (laughs) Hell no. I think that's the good Lord. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. You can call it the zero party data peak.com. Yeah, there you go. Something. Something like zero that. Party yeah. Did. yeah, exactly. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Fetch is not going to happen. All right. <laughs> All right what do you Where got going? You what do you week? got going on the rest of the week here? Weekend. Uh, the the next uh, week, I am here at the lovely homestead. Um, so just working, working, working on stuff. All good. Um, and yeah, just busy, busy, busy. Just uh, working on client stuff. Trying to get some meetings done and. Um, yeah, it's all, I'm trying to get, well, I'm, my big project on my plate is to get CMI University done. I'm, I'm doing my new master class and 
aligning it with my new book and all that sort of stuff. So I have to. I have lots of videos. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's always yeah. a bear. So I'm glad yeah. I don't yeah. have to help you with that in any way. But go. I'll be supportive. Yeah. I'll be very supportive. Yeah. There you. Thank you. Thank you. How about you? Uh, no, I'm actually. I think I'm in the office for the for the next week. We've got uh, nice the early bird uh, pricing for Creator Economy Expo is coming to an end. So now, if you want to come, we'd love to see it. It, uh, in Cleveland, May 1st to 3rd, for some of the amazing presentations and um, pricing changes on the 31st of March. So now is the time, folks. We want to see that Robert's going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to be doing a little podcast, I think. We think. Yeah. We don't know yet. We don't like to make decisions this far in advance. <laughs> yeah. But we'll be there. Yeah. And we'll probably have to do don't a podcast. tell me how to run my life. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. There you have it. All right. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to us. And as always, uh, remember, we will see you next week. Um, and because Joe's going to make me show up, and I'm going to make him <laughs> yep. show up. So basically, remember, in the meantime, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We will see you next week on This Old Marketing.